you for the welcome back. We started, just before I went away, on looking at the different encounters with Jesus. And we're looking at another encounter this morning. And the thing is about when we have an encounter with Jesus, there's always a surprise in the story. We think it's sort of, well, straightforward sometimes, but there seems to be something that catches us. Oh, oh, I didn't expect that. I don't know whether you noticed it in this particular story being told to us this morning. But if you like, it was a little bit like the scene that is going on at the moment in Ipswich, where uh, the crowds are gathering for the homecoming of Ed Sheeran. And everybody's there, and everybody wants to be there. And everybody wants a ticket. Jesus was, if you like, coming home. Capernaum was his, his home base there in Galilee for his ministry. He was back in town, and everybody was wanting to ha- listen, to be, to be around him to know what was going on. There was the sceptics there. There was the believers there. there was the, what, the, everybody was there. And the house was packed. Well, of course, it's not a big mansion, so it wouldn't take much to pack in the house. But also the crowds were outside. Every Tom, Dick and Harriet was there. But if you notice that the encounter in this story wasn't necessarily with the crowds, although they were clearly listening in and there was an encounter there. But it was with a guy who actually, it was impossible for him to get there. It was an encounter with somebody who didn't have a ticket, who didn't have an invitation, who was in society probably one of the lowest of the lows. It was an encounter with a guy who was paralysed probably we could assume was a paraplegic or a quadriplegic. And he was reliant upon begging for his occupation or certainly for his family to take him from A to B to do the begging. But here's the guy who has the encounter. The crowds were pressing in and there was no room for this guy in the inn. I wonder if that rings any bells. It reminds us that it was God who made the first move in the first place when he came to Bethlehem, born as a babe in the back of beyond. And here we have God himself in the midst of the crowds he's made the first move this isn't like a God who is out of our reach this is the God who has come near to each one of us and the first question I perhaps want to pose this morning and I'm hoping it's relatively short and sweet this morning because I'm trying to keep you awake because it's so warm I know I can see some flying pigs The first question, though, is who are you bringing to Jesus? Perhaps if I turn it on. Who are you bringing to Jesus? You don't need any great theological training to 
see that this guy had four guys, the paralyzed guy had four guys who had brought maybe their friend or family member to the feet of Jesus. As I was thinking about the, the, the guys carrying him, the four stretcher bearers, um, we had a, a, an elders away day uh, a few months ago and one of the challenges was that Bob gave us was that we had to make a stretcher out of rope and Bob's a climber, experienced climber. I don't think he's here this morning. Um, so he knew all the knots, etc., etc. We didn't have a clue. We were given instructions, and the idea was if you follow the instructions, you will get there in the end. But if you think, oh, we'll muddle along, it won't be a healthy stretcher. Eventually we got there, and we looked for a volunteer, and praise the Lord, Mike volunteered and he got in the stretcher and then we went and we prayed and lifted him up and he was still he was still there but it reminded me of stretcher bearers and stretcher bearers we saw in the first world war we have those images of going out and helping people in distress and rescuing and saving lives we see them running onto the football pitch when somebody's injured and and etc when we see a stretcher bearer there's usually somebody in need of help and here we have the stretcher bearers of the 2000 years ago bringing this paralyzed guy to Jesus someone who was overlooked maybe squeezed out and certainly incapable of finding Jesus by himself there were many obstacles in getting close to Jesus there was the wall of people, the physical war of, wall of people. Bartimaeus had the same problem. Do you remember as uh, Jesus was passing by and he was shouted out, Jesus, son of David! And the Oh dear. I'll try. Where was I? Bartimaeus had the wall of... I've got to stay here, haven't I? had the wall of uh, people crowding him, crowding him out. There was no chance that he could get to Jesus. There's the walls of ritual taboos and traditions and culture. of Well, that's not the way we do it here. There was a sense in the culture at that time that, well, if he's so ill, then what has he done wrong? Do you remember the story of the blind man? Is it him that sinned or is it his parents? that have sinned there's the walls of unbelief and scepticism I mean would Jesus really be bothered with him or we might say with us and could he possibly make a difference there's the walls of poor self worth we don't have to be physically paralysed but we can be paralysed through fear and anxiety through poor self-esteem through debt through pain through abuse through loss I could go on and go on of those things that can paralyze us in our lives and we need help I suspect that these guys didn't just pick this paralyzed man off the street 
but it was somebody that they may have befriended or was a family member, someone they knew. And we see that it was some friends who joined forces who were determined to place this friend at the feet of Jesus and they left the rest to him. And I wondered, as we pray for those nearest and dearest to us, I wondered when we had that season of thy kingdom come, thy will be done, and we had the five names of praying for people. It wasn't just for a week, you know. I wondered as we resurrect those names in our mind's eye, whether we could partner with others in prayer. Whether that's through our care group systems, within our care groups, or whether that's in our friendships. As we come alongside each other, and we pray into, and we befriend, and we express kindness, sorry, and we express kindness and compassion in the name of Jesus. Not Bible bashing, but simply being Christ-like and wooing them closer to Him. It seems to me that takes the pressure off. It's all down to me. And sometimes it's more helpful when it's somebody outside of family that are willing to come alongside and express something of the love of God. Who are we bringing to Jesus? The paralysed man needed a friend, at least, to get anywhere near to Jesus. And it's impossible, it's, sorry, it's important that we build friendships that make people feel safe and secure. A British publication once offered a prize for the best definition of a friend. And among the thousands of answers, the winning definition read, a friend is one who comes in when the whole world has gone out. Dale Carnegie, who wrote How to Win Friends and Influence People, said, you can make more friends in two months by becoming interested in other, in other people than you can in two years by trying to get other people interested in you. So are we fair-weather friends? Those fair-weather friends who are happy to be with us when everything's hunky-dory and running smoothly and wonderful isn't life great but then when life's difficulties and hardships come and pain they make their polite excuses and disappear Martin Luther King Jr. said in the end we will not remember the words of our enemies but the silence of our friends the wisdom of Proverbs says a friend loves at all times Rain or shine. Well, that's my translation. Rain or shine. And when we look at the character of these friends bringing this guy, they refused to give up hope. Of all the obstacles that were around, they would not stop. They were determined. They persevered. They expressed hospitality, loving kindness, acceptance, and they were faithful as they looked to Jesus 
What did they do in the face of the obstacles? Go back home. There's no chance here. We know what they did. Thankfully, the houses were built in such a way that there were steps alongside the house that you could access the roof. And they, they somehow clambered up the side of the house and got him on the roof and began to dig a hole. Can you imagine, as the crowds are grand in there, that as the roof begins to part, and the dust and the mud and the clay begins to fall down, certainly an uproar, certainly it would stop the conversation, certainly it would get attention. Who knows what other voices were raised at the time. You can't do that here. but they express faith in Jesus. It was a simplicity of faith, it seems to me. They believed that Jesus could help them. As someone once said, it wasn't great faith, but it was faith in a great Saviour. They simply believed that Jesus could help. I remember the story of when, who we're bringing to Jesus, um, of Andrew bringing his brother, Simon Peter, to Jesus. Let me just read just those couple of verses. It's beautiful. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. And the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. That is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Who are you bringing to Jesus? And is there someone who could join you as you seek to reach out with compassion and love? And the other question, simple question is, what is your greatest need? If you were to write your answer down on a piece of paper now or have a discussion groups, I guess there's possibilities that things like financial needs could come up somewhere along the line. There may even be friendship needs, people who are lonely. Maybe it's simple things like food that we take for granted. Perhaps your greatest need is you need a plumber to sort the bathroom out or a mechanic to sort the car. Maybe your greatest need is to be loved. What was the paralyzed man's greatest need? Now here's the surprise in the story. I mean, it's healing, isn't it? It's obvious. I suspect as his friends brought him to Jesus, that's what they had in mind. And that's what the paralyzed guy had in mind. That he might be touched and healed and restored. Even those who composed and gathered together the, the NIV Bible, um, even they think, in the small headings you get in the passages, mine's headed at the beginning of chapter 2, Jesus heals a paralytic. 
Now let me just say, when we read scripture, that's not the inspired bits. That's something man or woman have added to it to just give you a, a little idea as to what's coming. But they seem to think Jesus heals a paralytic here. But actually, hang on, when we read the story again, it seems that Jesus' focus was on forgiveness. That was the main encounter here. It was forgiveness. It reminds me of the advice that somebody once gave to me when I first uh, was moving into ministry, if you like, of that when somebody comes forward for prayer, then don't assume what they want to pray the prayer for so if somebody walks up with a limp don't assume they want prayer for healing for their limp or their bad knee or whatever else ask what it is and listen carefully and I guess Jesus could see right through what this guy's greatest need was that from Jesus' perspective it was forgiveness son your sins are forgiven and of course that led on to a physical healing too but it seems to me we can focus so much on the physical healing when actually the important question is do you know forgiveness do you know a healed and restored relationship with God because that's the thing that will last into eternity. You might be healed for one thing, but by, by oh boy, something else is going to crop up. So it's a serious challenge as we come to Jesus. And of course the healing was linked with forgiveness. But he wanted to emphasise forgiveness first. Max Lucado, I'm sure many of you may know of this quote, but he said, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. But since our greatest need was forgiveness, God sent us a saviour. It's universal. We all need Forgiveness. So where do we go with our feelings of guilt and despair and anxieties and fears when we know we've missed the mark? If you're anything like the Apostle Paul and like me, I do the things I ought not to and I don't do the things I ought to. As the Anglican prayer book says, through ignorance, through weakness, through my own deliberate faults. Yes, even pastor. Just doing one little sin or wrong a day over a lifespan of 70 years. Do you know how much that calculates to? 25,550 sins, if anybody was counting, if you lived to the age of 70. So watch out those of you that are above 70. Yours is even worse. Unfortunately for us, Everyone else doesn't see those 25,550 wrongs. That's a relief. 
but what if God does? And the essence of sin is, is our rebellion against God, our ignoring God in the sense of behaving as if he doesn't exist, with the result that we're cut off from him. David, in his place of despair, when he failed God, prayed against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Whatever self-help group, the book you might read, whatever technique or guru you may go seeking help, help to remove the stain of sin, only God can forgive the all-seeing, all-knowing God. And thankfully, He doesn't abandon us or treat us as our sins deserve. He comes to us in Christ, who is the perfect sacrifice on our behalf, who paid our debt of sin to bring that cleansing and healing and restoration of our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Jesus offers to bring healing first to our broken lives. And when God forgives us, he deals with it thoroughly. Perhaps it's demonstrated here in action with this paralyzed man. We have other images there of him separating our sin as far as the east is from the west. Have you ever tried to measure that? We have the images that he's dumped it into the deepest of seas. We have the images that he's blotted it, erased our sins out. He doesn't disregard the offence nor sweep it under the carpet. He doesn't pretend that it's never happened. He condemns the faults, but he also spares the doer as well. That's what the forgiving God does for us. And that brings healing to our relationship with God. What's your greatest need this morning? And the final thought would be, and who is this man? The Pharisees accused Jesus of blasphemy because he, a mere human being, was claiming to do something that only God could do. Jesus was clearly demonstrating to them that indeed he was God in the flesh by forgiving the sins. So he turns it back onto them and saying, well, what's, what's easier for me to do? Your sins are forgiven, but of course that's internalised. Who else is going to see? Oh yeah, my sins are forgiven. But how can that be demonstrated? So Jesus says, well, okay, pick your mat up, lad. Clear off home so to speak. I guess that was an external expression of the forgiveness and power of God. Who is this man? This man is the Christ, the real deal, the promised Messiah, the one who came to take away our sins, the one who had authority to bring forgiveness the one who had authority to erase 
to raise the dead. The one who had authority to still the storms. Who are you bringing to Jesus? Are there others who could walk with you? Have you realised what your greatest need is? Do you acknowledge that, he, that Jesus was more than a good guy, but actually God in flesh who came near? We're just going to momentarily pray now as we gather those thoughts and anything that the Holy Spirit may have been nudging and prompting within us. And just in prayer now, I want you to lift up, almost like lifting that stretcher, perhaps with the help of others around you right now, and bring that friend, that family member, that person who appears to be as yet paralysed and who needs God's healing and forgiving touch. Maybe those five names during thy kingdom come. Maybe you've got a list longer than that. Let's just take this moment now to lift them to the throne of grace that Jesus could not ignore them. Lord, we lovingly lift these friends and loved ones to you, praying that you would work a miracle praying that they would encounter with you as we have. We pray that uh, you might bring about God coincidences this week with people and circumstances that would cause them to turn their eyes to you. We pray for each other that we might be faithful friends we pray Lord you might prompt us to gather other friends that we might be faithful in bringing our loved one in prayer to you and living the life before them that causes them to jealousy that they would want to know what is the hope within us And Father, if our greatest need is forgiveness this morning, if it's restoring our relationship with you, then, Lord, in just this quiet moment now, in the simplicity of just saying it as it is, we hold our hands up and confess that we have indeed missed the mark 
mucked up, made a mess of things. And we pray we might know of that cleansing afresh by your Spirit. And that we might go and sin no more. We thank you, Lord, that with you there is forgiveness of sins. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray, and change us to be more like him. For we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.